Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. When we talk about nutrition and ADHD, there's a big checklist that I am personally going to go through, and, and I'm going to look at each child uniquely and individually, because there really isn't one diet for every child, but there are some things that you want to think about nutritionally and and that should be top of mind when you're working with a child with ADHD. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today is an episode I know many of you are going to be excited about because I've been getting requests from listeners to cover this topic, and that is ADHD and nutrition. To get into it all, I'm bringing onto the show one of America's leading experts in the field of childhood nutrition, Jill Castle. Jill is a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 25 years of experience with babies, toddlers, children, and teens in a variety of settings from private practice and consulting to author and writer. Her specialty is taking the current research in pediatric nutrition and shaping it into practical sane advice for parents and healthcare providers. Jill writes the blog Just the Right Bite and hosts a childhood nutrition podcast called The Nourished Child. In this conversation, Jill shares her insights about what we know about the relationship between ADHD and nutrition, the impact of nutritional deficiencies in kids, and how to not get overwhelmed at the thought of making changes in your family and more specifically your child's diet. She also shares some great tips for how to get started making small changes that can have a big impact. Jill truly is an expert in her field. I learned a lot in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And before we get started, a quick note. If you like what we're doing on the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I would like to invite you to support our Patreon campaign. Patreon is a tool that allows people to support the work of artists, musicians, and yes, even podcasters. Donations made through our campaign help fund production costs associated with the podcast, help which is very appreciated as it allows me to spend more time focusing on the other pieces of finding and researching great guests to bring on the show. It's super easy to help out, and every little bit helps. If you'd like to support us, please visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Thanks for considering and for being a part of our audience. And now let's get on with the show. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for coming on to the show today. Oh, you're welcome, Debbie. I'm glad to be here. Well, before we get started, I will fess up that well. I make an effort to practice good nutrition as a whole. Like, I think we're doing a pretty good job, you know, both for myself and for our family. I am not one of those people who has fully dived into the issues of food and nutrition, especially as a tool for helping us with issues related to my son's ADHD and Asperger's. Mm -hmm. And I'll also admit to having some guilt about that. I know for many people, nutrition can be a game changer. So I'm just personally really looking forward to our conversation today. And this is also something I know is important to a lot of members of our community. So thank you again for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I I totally get it. There's a lot of guilt sometimes with nutrition and feeding, and there's a lot to learn about children with ADHD and nutrition. So I'm excited to be here to help, hopefully, uh, your community learn a little bit more. 
So as a way to get started, could you tell us a bit about your background, kind of who you are and what you do? And I always like to learn a little bit more about why you got into this line of work. Sure, sure. So I'm a pediatric dietitian. I've been in the field for, I'm going on almost 26 years now. And I started out sort of in the traditional route. I was, I did my internship in Boston. So I trained there and I had my first two jobs in pediatric roles within hospitals there in Boston. And that was wonderful and great. And so I worked as a clinical dietitian for about 10 years and then had my family and I have four children, two of which are almost adults now and two in high school. So that sort of when we had a larger family that sort of put the brakes on uh, my working situation. So I, I did full-time motherhood for about nine years and then went back into pediatric nutrition as a private practitioner. So I had a private practice, and I still do, as well as a coaching practice. And I do a lot of speaking around the country on different topics in pediatric nutrition and have written books. And I've done pretty much, (laughs) I wear a lot of different hats in the field. And when I first got into the field of pediatric nutrition, I mean, one thing, I love kids. And I think that's a must when you're working in a field that is solely related to children. So I love children of all ages. And I love the field and the science of nutrition. It's scientific enough, but it's very practical. And I was very drawn to that. And I think my why over the years has, you know, changed from that initial just wanting to be around kids all the time and and helping parents to now a more, I guess, a bigger driver related to the fact that I see day in and day out in my online business and in my my face-to-face business, that there's just a real need for an understanding about nutrition. And there's a lot of fear about nutrition, whether it's about, you know, starting solids or raising teenagers and preventing unhealthy eating and possibly eating disorders to to families that are living with more challenging conditions and how Nutrition can play a role in uh, helping them raise their children in a healthier way. So that fear and that confusion drives me to help parents have a better understanding about nutrition and feel more empowered when it comes to, you know, the day-to-day chore of feeding kids. And it is a chore for many of us, me included sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate that you use the word chore. As soon as you said, I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you add that layer of the, especially within communities of parents raising differently wired kids, where there's so much conversation, you know, you go on to any parenting forum for kids with ADHD or autism or anything going on. And there are so many people sharing research and studies about this and that, you know, supplement and diet and all of these things. And it is, it feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So where do we start here? And before before I actually dive into that question, I I also can imagine that that this is a field that's always changing. Yes, there's increasing interest among people in general. I would imagine, and then also the fact that the science is constantly changing, and you're learning more. That must be very exciting work to be doing. It is, and I, 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 that drives my desire to obviously learn and continue to remain in the field. But it also really helps me inform parents. And I 
I honestly believe that, you know, staying on top of the research is something essential for somebody in my position. And I often tell my clients and my readers and my listeners that if you need extra help, find somebody who is on top of the research because it is constantly changing, especially for different wired children or children with ADHD or on the spectrum. There is always stuff coming out and you really do need to have somebody who is familiar with that information because what we know changes. It changes all the time. That's such a good reminder to getting help. You know, I need to remind myself sometimes, but if there's something that we need to do or want to explore for our kids, there are always people out there who can help us go down that path. And so that's a nice reminder. We don't have to do all the research or become the experts ourselves. There are experts out there like you who this is what you do. So that's great. (laughs) So okay, I'm going to ask the giant question and, and we'll see how we can parse it down. So we're talking about ADHD and nutrition. So could you kind of give us an overview about what you know, maybe kind of the most important factors as nutrition relates to ADHD? Sure. There's a couple of things that I sort of think are very important. Number one, Nutrition is important for any child, whether they have a learning challenge, a behavioral challenge, or no challenges whatsoever. The important job of childhood is growth and development, and that doesn't just mean the growth of the body. It also means the growth and development of the brain. So nutrition is always going to be important to that. We know that with children who have ADHD, there are certain things that they're a little bit more potentially challenged with appetite being one of them, body weight being another one. And that can be underweight and it can be overweight. In fact, in ADHD, we're seeing more and more children who are overweight with ADHD. And that has health implications later on, potentially. Mm -hmm. We also see nutrient deficiencies in ADHD. And those are sort of the three top line things that stand out as a nutritionist when I'm working with somebody with ADHD to look for. But beyond that, there are other things that children with ADHD can be experiencing and it can make them more unique as a child to manage in terms of their nutrition. Number one, if they have sensory issues related to food, if they have trouble with their bowels, their bowel movements, constipation, for example, if they don't sleep well, that can affect their appetite and it can affect their growth. And then, of course, the issue of anxiety or stress management can also play out around the dinner table and can influence, you know, how I would go about working with a family who has a child with ADHD. So when we talk about nutrition and ADHD, there's a big checklist that I am personally going to go through and and I'm going to look at each child uniquely and individually, because there really isn't one diet for every child. But there are some things that you want to think about nutritionally and and that should be top of mind when you're working with a child with ADHD. It's so interesting. I had no idea of these three factors you mentioned, the potential, you said appetite. Does that mean either having a low appetite or a hyper appetite? If you look at the clinical trials and the research, about 60% of children with ADHD report 
low appetite. And that's generally from their medications. Mm. And it can be from all categories of medications. Like for example, and I don't want to get into a lot of the medications because that's not my area of expertise. But for example, some of the medications are a little bit more are are bigger contributors to a lack of appetite. For example, Concerta has been known to to be a, a medication that might influence or reduce a child's appetite. Are the nutritional deficiencies then, a, is that a reaction to not eating enough or just eating the wrong kinds of foods? Both. Absolutely. So the nutrient deficiencies um, that we commonly see in ADHD are things like iron and zinc potentially magnesium and its essential fatty acids. So iron is a big one. And, you know, that comes from a reduced appetite that can come from poor variety of foods or, or poor iron-rich foods in the diet. And if a child does have a deficiency of iron, we do supplement. We, we use supplements. And I'm a food first girl in general with all my clients. Mm -hmm. I'm going to always try to address any gaps in the diet with food. But there are certain nutrients like iron that we, we just can't replace through food alone. And they, those children do need a supplement because we want to get those iron levels back up into the normal range. We also know you know, in the first couple of years of life, that iron is intimately related to the cognitive abilities and development of children. So we know there's research on children who did not get enough iron in their diet in the first couple of years of life, and they have cognitive deficits. We see that research mostly in countries where, you know, there's hunger and malnutrition, but there's a definite link between iron and cognitive development. So we always want to treat iron deficiency. We want to get those levels up to normal. And then we want to make sure we're teasing out foods in the diet that are going to keep that level normal. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the correlation between or what kind of correlation there is between, for example, these nutrient deficiencies and the behavior of a kid with ADHD. I mean, we're talking about body weight, being over or underweight, and then these what's actually going on inside the body. But how does that manifest from a behavioral point of view? Sure, that's a great question. So as I as I mentioned with iron, cognitive development mostly, but also there's research that indicates iron deficiency can reduce the effectiveness of medications. So that's another reason why we want children to be iron replete. Zinc is associated with inattentiveness. So a zinc deficiency is associated with inattentiveness. So we do supplement low zinc levels as well. And a blood level of zinc can be difficult to, to get and it can be difficult to interpret. That's why it's really important to have a, a nutrition professional on board who can really look at, at the child's diet and do an assessment and see whether that child is getting enough zinc day in and day out in their diet. For example, if a child's not having meat or beans in their diet, it could be challenging to get enough zinc. A nutrition professional is going to be able to analyze that diet and see if there indeed is, is a high risk for a zinc deficiency. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. 
And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Magnesium is another one, and that is related to neurotransmission and nerve neuron regulation in the brain. And so what we see with a deficiency is distractibility and hyperactivity. And this is stuff that is you know, outlined in the research. With magnesium, we just want to make sure kids are getting great sources of magnesium in their diet day in and day out. And magnesium can be found in a lot of different foods. I actually have a list on uh, one of the blog posts on my website that I'm happy to give you the link to that that does go through all the different food sources of these nutrients to, to help parents sort of hone in on, on the types of foods that might provide these nutrients a little bit better. And then uh, the fatty acids, uh, the essential fatty acids, like eicosapentaenoic acid, we call that EPA for short, or docosahexaenoic acid, we call DHA. Your listeners mm-hmm. might be more familiar with EPA and DHA. EPA is really involved with brain and blood circulation through the brain. And so 
we see better attention and better reactive or, or less hy- hyperactivity and less impulsiveness when children have good levels of EPA in their system. And with DHA, we see better literacy. So there's great research, a lot of it, that is evolving and outlining these benefits or these associations, really, of how these specific nutrients play out in a child's behavior. So this is a lot more complicated than just, you know, avoid sugar. Sugar makes your kid hyper, which is, you know, I think the (laughs) default response, you know, well, gosh, you know, you let your kid eat chocolate. No wonder they're bouncing off the wall. There's a lot more going on. There is a lot going on. And there's, you know, there's a whole category of additives like food dyes. I just on my own podcast just interviewed a food dye researcher and and the, the link between food dyes and behavior. And uh, there's just a lot. There's, there's a lot with sugar. There's just, it's so layered. And so what can, I think, get really overwhelming for parents? And I want to make this point because your listeners are going to be like, oh my gosh, I've got to check all these nutrients in my child's diet. Yes, but at the same time, there's some really great approaches and, and high-level thinking practical thinking that you need to be, that parents really need to want to, will want to pay attention to. And that's, you know, variety of foods in a child's diet, regular timing of meals and snacks, plenty of opportunity, but structured opportunity to eat during the day, especially for those children who are having appetite issues where they're not hungry at certain meals during the day. You're going to do makeup meals or you're going to do beefier snacks to make up for that potential deficit during the day. So there's there are a lot of things. We get picky with the nutrients and the additives when it's glaringly apparent that a child is missing out on something. As I mentioned before, if a child's not having any meat, poultry, or good iron and zinc sources in their diet, we're going to address that. And we're going to get nitpicky about iron and zinc and really do a deep dive and, and try our best to correct a deficiency if it's there and, you know, really get more of those nutrient-rich foods into the diet in a reasonable, meaningful way. Well, it's funny, as you said the word overwhelm, you said this could be overwhelming. I was writing the word overwhelm in my notes here. (laughs) Because I think that is a big issue for parents. So I appreciate that you address that. And and I want to talk about that more. The other word that popped into my head is shame. You know, I, I can just imagine that Nutrition is one of those issues that there's a lot of judging that happens in forums of parent groups for neurotypical kids, kind of like screen time in that way. You let your kid watch that, you let your kid play that, you let your kid eat that. Sure. So I imagine, and tell me where I'm wrong, I might totally have this wrong, but when parents come to see you, is there that kind of sense of, almost embarrassment that you're it's kind of like peeling back the curtain here's what's really going on in our family you know how sure. how do you address that with parents who are feeling guilt about maybe some really not so great nutritional habits they've developed that's a great question and i will say that probably everybody who comes to me with any problem and i treat lots of different problems have that same feeling so it's not just isolated to families who are dealing with with adhd but the good news is when we peel back the curtain yes we see the ugly stuff but there's so much we can work on and i think that that's where i try to keep the focus on on the positive aspects of hey 
You probably didn't know this, so we all make mistakes from a lack of knowledge. And that is in part why I do what I do, because I don't feel that parents have ever been well-equipped with nutrition education or knowledge from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they're already, you know, parents today have babies and they're at a disadvantage when it comes to nutrition. We don't do anything as a country to really educate those first-time parents about feeding and proper nutrition. And we sort of go about it in a reactive way. Hey, you have a problem. So go see a dietitian. And then, well, hey, you didn't feed your baby any iron fortified foods in the first year of life. Well, that's why there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a reactive way of addressing issues. And so I acknowledge and I'm very empathetic to the embarrassment and the shame and the guilt that can go with this. But I like to you know, acknowledge it, but hey, that's behind us. And let's just work to help your child be as healthy as we can help him be and be as functional as we can help him or her be. So I don't think it's fair to say you're not going to have shame or guilt because I think anytime you learn something new, that's an aha and oh my gosh, I've not even thought about this. You're naturally going to feel that way. But if you don't know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. It's when you know and you do nothing about it, that's the real shame and guilt and the and that's the real area i think that's that's a shame as a professional as well mm-hmm. that you know we do have a lot of information out there it's not all correct and i'm sure you see that in your own work as well there's a lot of misinformation out there and it's very confusing that's why it's so important to find professionals who know their stuff who, who stay abreast of, of the research, but who can translate that re- research into making it very practical for parents to implement. And I imagine it's also one of those things that it's never really too late to start. It's not like, well, it's too late, I screwed up with their nutrition, you know, that at whatever point a parent decides to make these changes, it's going to benefit the child. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've, I've worked with many children who are older children who've had you know, ADHD for a while. And we get in even putting them on a structured feeding system where they are, their brain is exposed to nutrition every three to four hours. There's a vast improvement Mm. because remember the brain relies on glucose. It relies on fatty acids. It relies on nutrients to function well. And when we bathe the brain, so to speak, in a regular, predictable bath of nutrition, there's going to be better functioning. They're always, I, and this is anecdotal, but I always see better functioning, calmer kids, better functioning, more pleasant to be around. That's inspiring to hear. So I have a son who he's 12 and a half and he is not on medication for ADHD. He's not interested right now and I'm homeschooling him. And so it works for us that he isn't, Mm -hmm. but he gets frustrated with himself and and his own distractibility. And so we talk about nutrition and other things. You know, if we're not going to try medication, then we should really try everything else to see what we can do to positively impact what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. Can changes in a child's diet potentially be as impactful as a child going on medication? Have you seen that? Or is it is it something that works well when it's supplementing a medication? So as I mentioned, there are some studies that indicate that supplementation and better nutrition improves behavior and the effectiveness of medication. But I do not know of any research that says nutrition 
in and of itself, all alone, is going to get the same results. And most healthcare professionals who work with children with ADHD will say that they're complementary approaches. So a child will do best with probably both on board because they complement each other. Yeah, right. I want to ask a question that I think is probably what some of our listeners are thinking as they're listening to this. And certainly what I've thought over the years is I considered what do we do here? And in fact, right before we moved to the Netherlands, I had taken Asher to see a nutritionist for, you know, a blood test and to kind of see what was going on. And unfortunately, because we were moving, we weren't able to stick with that person and kind of go down that road with her. And I haven't found the right person here yet. But one of the things I used to say was, you know what, I'm picking and choosing my battles. I have a child Mm -hmm. who's really super skinny, has always bordered on being underweight, severely Mm -hmm. underweight. And everything, you know, especially when kids are in those years between like six and nine, when, you know, as I say, the crap really is hitting the fan. And Mm -hmm. so many things can feel like a struggle and a battle. So we have to kind of pick and choose what are we going to focus on, you know, and if food is going okay, then, you know, maybe we're focusing on other things. So what would you say to parents who are in that kind of space who are feeling like, I just can't deal with this right now. That's going to be too hard. You know, does it have to be that hard to make some changes? Does it have to be this completely life altering thing that's going to disrupt the whole family? Or are we kind of making it to be more difficult than it than it really is? Well, that's a great question. I really have never seen an overhaul work like a, okay, we're flipping everything 180. And we're starting over. I've never seen that work. Mm-hmm. What I see work is a whole family approach, which means that everybody's eating the same way and at the same time. And and there's a structure and rhythm to family meals together and meals apart, but there's a rhythm there. And you're pecking off one small change at a time. Instead of taking this huge bite, you're taking little nibbles. And I think where parents can really you know, sort of think this through, look at your child. If your child is having trouble growing, if they're having trouble keeping weight on, if they're undernourished, then nutrition is probably something you should focus on because it's not only going to help them be better nourished and grow better, but it's also going to help them behave better. And that's sort of a, an easy one. Then pick the low-hanging fruit. If your child is only eating three times a day, Try to work in another eating session based on those peak times of the day when hunger is there. And when you're feeding your child during the day, make sure that you're, you know, really selecting the most nutritious foods that you can. That snacks are not chips, but they are, they might be peanut butter, toast, and milk. So something more nutritious, more substantial, more hefty. And you know, get those feeding times nailed down, sit down and and look at the times of days that your child's eating, be a little bit more strategic. If your child is not a breakfast eater, then figure out the first time a day they're going to eat. Hopefully it's not two o'clock in the afternoon. Hopefully there's room for a mid morning eating session. But try to get strategic with that and with the foods that you are offering at those times. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. 
I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Set up some structure with your family meals. Make sure there's one meal a day, if you can, where at least one parent is sitting down with the child and eating together, making it more of a social, positive atmosphere as opposed to an isolated experience for the child or a negative experience for the child where the parents are on the you know child to eat this and eat that or eat more, but Mm -hmm. to try to keep it really positive. You know, those are some of the the little itty bitty changes. And I really think for families that just one little change at a time and just chipping away at it, uh, you'll get there. It is overwhelming to do it all at once. And my experience has been that children, you get a lot of resistance from children when you try to do it all at once or when parents decide they're going to take all the sugar out of the house. Well, that's a recipe for resistance. And that almost never works. But you can be strategic with things like sugar, like making your own desserts, for example, and you can easily cut the sugar down in many dessert recipes. Mm -hmm. So little, little steps like that can really make a difference over time if you keep making these small changes and they build up. Those are great tips. And they do seem absolutely doable and not overwhelming. 
Mm-hmm. Just just changed everything for us. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> what about in terms of getting our kids invested in making these changes? Asher is, as I said, he's 12 now. And I don't know how I've done this, but I've somehow managed over time to get him really interested in nutrition and to the point where, and I just posted about this on my blog, he decided last week that he wanted to start eating more inspiring breakfast. And he's started something called the Better Breakfast Initiative. And he also really wants to learn how to cook his own breakfast. So which all sounds great to me. So he's been making these, you know, this morning, he had eggs and toast and raspberries, and he Mm -hmm. made it all he was so pleased with himself. And I was very pleased with the quality of what he was eating. I don't know exactly how I got him to that point. But do you have any suggestions for how to get kids invested in making these changes? You know, you talked about not removing all the sugar from the house and, you know, maybe baking together some some yummy snacks that are higher quality. But any other Mm -hmm. ideas about that? Well, I think, you know, when you when you have a younger child, it's really getting your your food system down and your feeding system or your feeding strategy arranged so that your child is just going to by nature, you know, follow the leader, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. It, it may be that, you know, we have dinner every night at six o'clock. Well, if you're not hungry, you don't have to eat, but you do have to join us at the table mm-hmm. and you have to be present. So so some simple things like just getting your food system, you know, when I say food system, I'm really talking about what are you buying and what are you stocking and what are your go-to foods for your child? And so that might be some rearranging gradually which we talked about a little bit earlier in terms of snacks and and more nutritious quality foods. That's something when a child's younger, a parent can do. And oftentimes a child will just follow the parent. Mm -hmm. When your child gets older, as you were mentioning your son, you know, there needs to be more dialogue. There needs to be more conversation. And, And what I have learned over the years is that, you know, tying that conversation to how a child feels, how they're performing in school, how they're how they're able to focus or stay calm, really sort of constantly having these conversations about how how they feel after they eat. Do they still feel hungry? Do they feel agitated? Uh, Maybe they need to eat. So making those connections gradually and over time will help build the interest, particularly with children your son's age who are middle school age and, and entering into the teenage years. Again, letting them loose in the kitchen is hugely beneficial. It's a, it's a developmental skill. All children should be learning. And it's a high touch area where kids are looking, touching, smelling, feeling, experimenting with food. So if there's any sense, sensory stuff going on with the child, or pickiness. It's a great way to to help move that child along in that area as well. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, your son is so proud that he could do that. That is the response that many children that age will have when they are allowed to experiment in the kitchen. A great sense of pride. And and there's some research that even suggests that cooking helps build self-esteem in children. So it's, again, a good thing to be doing. In terms of parents who are listening who want to get started making, you know, it sounds like I'd like to hear more about what you offer on your website and your blog. And if you have any other favorite resources that parents looking to explore these topics can kind of check out. Sure. So as I mentioned before, just do due diligence on research and make sure that you're getting information that's current and up to date. 
and from qualified professionals who actually work with children mm-hmm. <laughs> with ADHD. And, you know, I do have a few resources that I find are really good. Um, Judy Converse is a dietitian out of Colorado. She's written a few books, mostly dealing with autism, but she includes the whole spectrum. And so she does do some writing and some teachings on ADHD. I find her work to be very good and very research-based. And then there's another book called Eating for Autism, but it also, again, includes some, some recommendations for ADHD as well by Elizabeth Strickland. But I will say I was struck when I dug in to see any new information out there. And there are quite a few books that are written, but I couldn't, I don't know the writers or the authors. And I, I have not reviewed them, so I don't know what the angle is. And I think that that's the most, <laughs> the most important piece is I think what your listeners, what I would like them to understand is that every child is different. So no one diet is going to be right for every child, no one approach. And to just be curious about your child, your, your knowledge of your own child as a parent is hugely, hugely important to the health care professional that you end up working with. That is enormously important because it helps really structure and steer the approach. In terms of my own resources, thank you for asking about that. I do have a blog post called The Healthy ADHD Diet. And within that post, there's a download link for like a cheat sheet that covers the different nutrients, and some of the food sources. But in the works is a course, actually, that I'm developing for parents that will be available online, hopefully in the next three months, that will really go through not only the food piece that we talked a lot about here today, but it will also talk about the feeding piece so that, you know, how do you deal with a resistant child at the table? How do you deal with, you know, setting limits? How do you deal with, you know, children who want to snack all day or this, that, and the other? So more of the challenges of actually getting food into your child, not just picking the right food, but getting your child to eat the foods and to, to enjoy eating the foods and, and learn along the way. So that course will be available in a few months, but it is it will be just for children with ADHD. That's fantastic. You'll have to let us know when that's available and I will share it with on on our Facebook group and and with our community and I will be signing up for it. It sounds <laughs> sounds like a great resource. And uh listeners, I will leave links to the resources that Jill talked about and also for Jill's website which is uh www jillcastle.com. I'll leave that on the show notes page so you can check all of that out. So Jill, I just want to thank you. We covered so much and Mm -hmm. this has been such a insightful conversation for me and I know it's going to benefit our listeners greatly. So thank you for coming on and sharing all your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Jill's website and the other resources we mentioned in our conversation, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 52. If you're not already signed up for our newsletter, I would love for you to join our Tilt Parenting online community. I send out short weekly updates with links to new content on the Tilt website, articles and resources just for you. And lastly, here's my weekly pitch to ask you to leave an honest review or rating for the podcast on iTunes. It only takes a minute and it really helps us get more visibility in the crowded podcast space. 
Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.